goes on page, from page 1001, and we're starting at chapter 2, verses 5. That's, um, sorry, Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 5, um, on page 1001 of the Church Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you very much to Will and to our musicians. Uh, for uh, leading us. Now, if you can have your Bibles uh, open to Hebrews chapter 2, uh, just a reminder of the page number, page 1002, and on the back of the service sheet, there is an outline that uh, I hope and pray uh, will help us uh, understand this uh, passage. Now, if you are uh, new to Chalmers today, we are on Sunday mornings through this term in the letter to the Hebrews. And the message of the book, and I put that on the sheet, 
just as a kind of reminder. The message of the book is to people who are in need of endurance or courage or confidence or encouragement to stick with Jesus. And that is many of us right now, and it will be all of us at some stage in our life, individually and often too corporately as a church. It is not easy to stick with Jesus, to keep on following him and listening obediently to his word. How do we stick with him? The answer in this letter is by considering him. Considering is a word that Hebrews uses. It means kind of really consider him or work to get your head and your heart around who he is. Now, Hebrews is a simple book. Simple in the sense that it is all about one person, Jesus but profoundly rich in the portrait it paints, in the person it describes. God is going to speak to us through his word such that we fix our eyes upon Jesus, grow in our knowledge of him, grow in our affections for him, grow in our understanding of who he is and all that he has done. Now, I hope this is not an appropriate illustration. It is not entirely hypothetical either. When you love someone, you cannot get them out of your mind. To keep loving someone, there are times when you need to pause and consider what it is about them that you love. Consider who they are. Consider why they love you and what they do for you. Our calling as Christians is to love Jesus with all our hearts, souls, mind and strength. And if we love him thus wholeheartedly, we will stick with him, keep on following him. And Hebrews, perhaps, is a chance for us to pause, to think, why is it that we love him? How is it that he loves us? It might be that it just spurs us on because we are loving him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, sticking closely to him, it might be that Hebrews will help us fall in love with him again. I think that is an appropriate way to describe our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it might well be that for some of us, we come to love him for the very first time. Now, the main points of the bit we are in in Hebrews, which is chapter 2, verses 5 to 18, and we did read the whole section and we looked at half last week, half this week. The main point of the section I've written down there, uh, consider Jesus, who temporarily stooped down below angels to become like us so he could save his family from death to glory. 
Last time we looked at verses 5 to 9, which is about the, the journey that Jesus made from glory as the eternal Son of God to earth into a human body to become like us, to serve us, to die, to be raised, to ascend, and to be crowned at the right hand of God as the eternal King. We considered the journey. Now, as Christians, we know that he took that journey. What we do not grasp, perhaps, is the magnitude of it, or the extent of the King of Glories humbling himself to be one of us. It was, to coin a phrase, one giant leap for Jesus in order to bring about one giant leap for mankind. Now, how did and does considering the magnitude of Jesus' journey help us to stick uh, with him? Because when we reflect on the magnitude of his journey, it causes us to be humble in thankfulness for his love of us. Now, let me just read verse 9. If you glance at that, that summarizes the first half, and then we'll move into our focus today. Verse 9 summarizes, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. Now, that's the magnitude of the journey. Today, we are on verses 10 to 18 and considering why he made the journey. Now, I think if you were to just chat about this with a person next to you, if you're a Christian, you would say, well, I know why. I know why he did it. But what Hebrews gets us to do is to really feel it, to understand it, to embrace it, to reflect on it, to pause and think about it. Consider why Jesus made this journey. First, to bring many people to glory. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that he is Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory. The word sons is a generic term. It means sons and daughters or people. And if you are a Christian, this is true for you. Jesus made this journey to bring you to glory. And it's quite hard to grasp that when we're sitting here in a kind of building with a wind blowing in and the doors rattling and just to get the sheer magnitude of this. Now, we've considered the sheer magnitude, the distance of Jesus, the eternal Son of God's descent from the glory of heaven into this world is a human being. The magnitude of his descent reveals the magnitude of his humility and love. 
But then the magnitude of ascent back to the right hand of God reveals the magnitude of his glory. Now, how big is the distance Jesus traveled? He went from glory to the cross, and he went from the cross to his coronation back in glory. And what we are to grasp is this, that Jesus brings you and me as sinners from the food of the cross, which is where we come in repentance and receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. He brings us from the foot of the cross to the throne room in glory. Now you're sitting here and you're thinking, but I'm here. And we're in a building that is going through extensive repairs. It's full of dry rot. A parallel for the world in which we live. Needing to be rescued. Am I really in glory? Now, Hebrew says, Jesus brings us from the foot of the cross to glory, from rags to riches, from the squalor of our fallen humanity to the heights of heaven. Freddie chose great songs today. We could have had many more. I did put in a pitch for a Christmas carol, but it was deemed to be too early. And we had a trumpet, which we won at Christmas. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Well, here's another song that some of you will know, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, Wisdom unsearchable, God the invisible, love indestructible, Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly, lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. This is your God. Now, that's what Hebrews says. Jesus brings us to glory. He says we are where he is. And where is he now? He is at the right hand of God in glory. He brings us there. When does he do that? Now, the answer is when we believed in Jesus, when we were saved. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Let me just read it to you. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he raised, this is past tense, you see, he raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's happened. So that, 
in the coming ages, that's not yet, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And what the author in Hebrews is saying and what Paul is saying in Ephesians is that when we believed in Jesus, whether that was a, a moment in time you can pinpoint or a period of time, when we believed in Jesus, when we were saved, we were raised up at that point with Jesus and seated with him in heaven. How is that? After all, we're here. And the reason is that when you become a Christian, the person of the Holy Spirit indwells you. One of the persons of the Godhead comes to live in you. And the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you unites you with Jesus Christ supernaturally. We are united with Jesus Christ right now as we sit here. He is in heaven, and therefore we are there with him in heaven because, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are united with Christ. Now, these are not easy things to grasp, and you need to go away and study this in your small groups and pray about it. But when you grasp this stuff, it is wonderful, and it gives you what Hebrews is there for, endurance to keep going. Now, we often think of being united with Christ in this way. We often think that he up there is with us. He is with us in his spirit. He is with us as a shepherd. He is with us in his care. He is with us with his word. But we need also to think about us being with him. Yes, he is with us in the person of the spirit, but because we are the person of the Holy Spirit, we are united with him where he is, and he is in glory. And that is where we are. We are in Christ. And we have the first fruits that one day will bring us into physical glory in his presence. Physical bodily presence with him. So consider why Jesus made this journey to bring many people to glory. And he has, if you are a Christian, brought you there already because you are united with the one who is there. And you're united not just in status, but in the person of the Spirit that indwells you. Father, Son, and Spirit. And as you consider where you are in Christ, consider just the magnitude of how much He has lifted you up from the foot of a cross with a sinful heart in a sinful, broken world to the heights of heaven. For you have need of endurance to stick with Jesus. Well, consider this and stick with him. Now, another way to reflect on these wonderful truths 
to gain yet more assurance and therefore endurance to stick with Jesus is to listen to how Jesus refers to us, what he calls us. And it's striking that all the way through this passage in Hebrews, he calls us brothers. And that word is generic again. It means brothers and sisters. Jesus is our brother. And it's not just, it's, you know, we're with him in heaven because we are united with him. It's not just a status or a concept. It's reality. And he's not just our brother, and we're not just his brothers and sisters, like some kind of uh, nice, neat uh, Christian language that describes what we believe. It's real. We are really in his family. We are adopted. How are we adopted? His spirit lives in us. The spirit of sonship or adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We are in his family. And when you realize that you are in his family and that he calls you brothers and sisters, you realize that you are in a realm of existence and status that gives you confidence and assurance as we navigate through this life. Let me just read a couple of uh, verses. Verse 11. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That means all are of one. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers means brothers and sisters. Jesus brings many people into his family. If you're a Christian, you are one of them. He calls you his brother because you are. He calls you his sister because you are. He is your brother. That is not irreverent. It is real. We are one with him. That is astonishing. We have been brought into his. And even more than that, he's proud of us. You know, when God brings you into his family, there is not even a vestige in his heart of, I've, well, you didn't deserve it, or what a mess you were in. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, the king of glory, who created this world and who created humanity, has rescued us by coming from there to the depths of our sinful human state and has gone back to glory and delights to call us to his father, these are my brothers and these are my sisters. Consider that as you have need of endurance. Think on that. There's someone listening. Real person in my mind. And you said to me, you feel all alone because you have no family. And many of us are blessed with loving families, nuclear families, but many are not. Listen to what God's Word says. You are in the family of God. Jesus is your brother. But you say, I, I want something, something real and tangible. Well, His Spirit is in you, but here's something real and tangible. 
I'm going to bring you and put you into a church family where you have other brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus. You know, when we talk about each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to really understand what we're saying. We're talking about other people in our church family whose brother is Jesus. Extraordinary what a church is, imperfectly. So to you when you're listening today, to that one person and maybe many more, you belong to the family of God and to this church family, and we will love you And Jesus Christ will never leave you. Now, what follows in verses 12 and 13 are a number of quotations from the Old Testament. All they teach us, and we'll not look at them. We don't have time. They, you'll look at them in your small groups, and they just tell us that, 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 that all through the Old Testament, it was promised that the Messiah, when he came, would call those he saved, brothers and sisters. It's not a new thing. And so, if you are a Christian, Jesus is your brother. You have been brought into his family. You are safe. You are secure. There are many more things that the Bible says about the blessings of being in his family. Many things. You have a need of endurance. Consider this. Jesus is your brother, and you belong to the family of God. And you have been brought, as our new members promised, and we promised them, into a church family where others have Jesus as their brother. Now, let's move on because I want to get to death. <laughs> what were you talking about on Sunday morning? Oh, death. Why on earth did you go? Because as Christians, we do not need to live in the shadows of denial. Before we get to that, though, verse 14... Jesus made the journey to destroy the devil. What a strong word that is. Not defeat, but destroy. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus made this journey to destroy the devil. Destroy, not defeat, destroy. That's what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. He destroyed the arch enemy of God. He destroyed the prince of this world. He destroyed the one in whose hands this fallen world is gripped. He destroyed the one who delights in injustice. He destroyed the one who relishes conflict and the disunity of humanity. He destroyed the one who loves what happens to us? Suffering and death. Now again, there is a now and a not yet. All the way through this, there's a now and a not yet. 
all of this stuff is not yet under his feet, but it's guaranteed to be because he went from there to the cross to glory, and this waiting time is the time for human beings to come in repentance and faith, and that's why God leaves us in this world, because he needs us to come to realize that. One of the devil's great tactics, perhaps his greatest tactic in the world, is to blind people to truth. He is the prince of spin doctors. He is the father of lies. And perhaps his greatest deception is about death. Uh, Hebrews refers to the devil as the one who has the power of death. What that means, I think, is that he has power over people when it comes to thinking about death. Why do people not... We had a discussion about this in our sermon prep meeting this week, and we concluded as a group, maybe we're a skewed sample, that people in our society generally do not fear death. Actually, when you think about that, that's absurd. People don't fear death, and it cannot simply be because they block it out, although they do, with the Queen's Day, and let's keep praying for the impact of these 12 days. With the Queen's death, we watched a coffin on a live stream for days. So why are we not afraid of death as a society? Because the devil blinds people to what death really is that it's a passing away or the next part of a journey, or that when they die, that is the end, or that when they die, they will all be in heaven. It's all lies. And sometimes people who purport to be ministers of the gospel tell these lies. It's all lies so that people do not face the reality of the awfulness of death. Death is a terrible thing. Death is awful. God did not create his image bearers to lie down and die. Any more than the eternal God would have to die. You see what it took to reverse death in his image bearers who were never to die, that the eternal God had to die. Death is the wages of sin. It is terrible. It is awful. It is shocking. But Jesus has destroyed the devil's spin on lies. He destroyed him at the cross. He fights on but as the destroyed enemy, his final destruction is guaranteed. The truth of the gospel dismantles his lies. And every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the scales of their eyes fall away. Take heart. The devil... the father of lies, the arch enemy of God, the one who delights in injustice and war and suffering and death is destroyed.
Now, let me say just a little bit more about death. Encouraged by my conversation with our undertakers after service one. We're well served in Chalmers with quite a number of them. Jesus made this journey so that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus made this journey to deliver those in his family from death. And if you are in his family, Jesus has delivered you. For the unbeliever, death will come. It is inevitable. Satan will deceive them to their last breath. He will tell them that there is an end or that there is an eternity in heaven, but they will be raised to everlasting judgment in hell, to physical bodily hell. Death is not the end for anyone. And heaven is only entered by repentance and faith. As our country heard last Monday, as the world heard, there is a judgment. But for the believer, for you and I as Christians, our eyes have been opened to two things. One, the awfulness of the reality of death. And that is a good thing when the scales of our eyes come off and we see death for its awfulness and its bleakness and its tragedy and when you grasp that, you grasp the greatness of the solution and the greatness of the Savior. So you cannot grasp how great Jesus is until you grasp how great the stuff is that he had to deal with. As believers, we see death for what it is. And therein we see Jesus for what he has done. Yes, we will still die as believers, but death is not the last word. See, if Jesus, as he one day will do, returns and abolishes death, then no one would come in repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, which is the root of it all. And when you become a Christian, God unmasks your eyes and you see death for what it is. And you see Christ for what he has done. For the believer, there is no fear of death, not because we are blinded to what death is, but because we see it for what it actually is and our promised deliverance, not just from death, but the fear of death. Now, driving back from Johnny's commissioning in Aberdeen yesterday, apart from wandering all over the road uh, and having to stop in Forfar again for McDonald's, you know, there's nothing better in the world than a chicken select meal. Yes, this isn't, and, and uh, especially when you get half of your wife's one as well. And, and just, it's a light-hearted moment. <laughs> and of course, when you stop in the Forfar McDonald's, there was just everybody there, pretending that they hardly ever go there. It was just wonderful. I'm still thinking about it. But about, um, on the way from Aberdeen to Forfar, I said to Sally, you know, because, you know, she has to listen to me talking about the sermon again. Um, trying to get yesterday's sermon out of my mind and this one back in. And I said to her, I've always been afraid of death, and she knows that. She said to me that I shouldn't be, and why am I? And she is right. I shouldn't be. Why am I afraid of death? I think because I've seen lots and lots of people die. But the truth is, until now perhaps, I have not fully considered 
and embraced and fought to believe the promise of the Lord Jesus that he has not only taken the sting of death away as the last word, but the fear of death. Because it is not death that stalks us like shackles through life that makes me need to find endurance. It is the fear of it. Oh, to be liberated from counting our days. Oh, to be liberated from being so obsessed. Now, I'm not saying that health and care, and Catherine prayed for that. And uh, yesterday at the commissioning, I was speaking to a fellow who'd moved from India to Aberdeen. I mean, that's quite a change. And he was saying, you have a wonderful, wonderful health, sir. And we do moan about it, but... You know, we have wonderful, but we, could, we must not become obsessed with living. Because we fear death. We need to become perhaps obsessed with our eternal life. And let the shackles of fear pray that they'll come off me. Because when you are consumed with fear for something that you shouldn't be, you find yourself in need of endurance, and which is why God has given us Hebrews. Now, there is other stuff in this uh, uh, passage, like verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. And that's just a trailer for uh, the full movie in Hebrews that will follow. Let me finish with this. Underlying everything in this passage, like a golden thread, is the last point that you can see on the sheet there. Jesus made this journey to deal with our sin through his death. And the fundamental thing that Jesus came to earth to do was to deal with our sin. Because if we don't solve that, none of the other stuff uh, follows. And that's why at conversion, we need to find ourselves at the foot of the cross. Now, this is a golden thread through this passage, and Hebrews will say lots and lots to us about not the extent of the journey that Jesus made, not why he came, but how he did the one thing that means it all is true, dealing with our sin on the cross. Let me point you to just a couple of references. Verse 10, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of the salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting that he, because it was not fitting for anyone else to do that, only he could perfect, be made perfect through suffering. How does that, surely he's perfect already. What that means is that he became the perfect way to atone for sin. And verse 17 and we close with this. Therefore, he had to be made. There was no other way. It was fitting that he, he had to be made, like his brothers and sisters in every respect. He had to be made human. He had to become sin. He had to plumb the depths of the depths of humanity so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation 
And that word means bear the wrath of God. And Hebrews will teach us all about that for the sins of the people. And there's a trailer for what follows. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to grasp these marvelous truths in this letter. And we need to work hard at it. We need to pray about it. We need to study it in our small groups. We need to encourage each other. We need to talk these truths to each other, speaking the truth in love, building each other up. Because we have need of endurance to stick with Jesus. Help us to appreciate all that is now and to understand what is not yet, but to be convinced and to believe that the not yet will happen because of the now it is guaranteed. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and for all that you are teaching about who he is. And give us, we ask, endurance to stick with him, to come back to him or to come to him as our Savior and Lord. And we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to finish with a really uh, good modern him that speaks just of these things. Through all life's sorrows and despair, I will not be moved because Christ died. Sin has no claim on me because he overcame the grave. With him I will be raised. Now let's, as we sing this, allow the word of God to dwell in our hearts richly, encourage one another, and, uh, and be, be moved to find that endurance we need to keep on for another week, another year, uh, following Jesus.